This morning we return to our systematic study through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And we come to chapter 5 today. As we look to start a new year, uh, today is the last day of December, tomorrow, January 1st. This text comes to us at a perfect time uh, to challenge us as we consider lifestyle changes, as we consider making efforts to fix things that we have allowed to drift from, from where they should be. Uh, so this is not a New Year's resolution sermon, but it, it may help that it comes when we have that mindset uh, of life change. Because it has been five weeks since we have been here in Ecclesiastes, I want to remind us where we've been, what Solomon, the author, has given us in these pages. As he writes the book, Solomon calls himself in it the preacher. Uh, he is the one who has gathered the assembly. He is the one who is instructing and, and giving wise teaching. Uh, so as we go along, you will hear me refer to the preacher over and over again, the preacher, the preacher. And I'm not talking in those times about myself, the preacher, uh, though I am the preacher this morning. I'm talking, I'm speaking in reference to Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher. There are a few phrases in Ecclesiastes that we have found to be used over and over again in the text. And we need to remember, we need to remember those so that we can remember what they mean and how we are to view them. The first expression that we should remember is under the sun. <coughs> under the sun. 29 times in Ecclesiastes, we have this phrase under the sun. And it's not found anywhere else in the Bible. So this is a unique Ecclesiastical, Ecclesiastes turn of phrase. Ecclesiastical wouldn't fit there. Uh, this is a unique turn of phrase for Ecclesiastes. Uh, this, this phrase, under the sun, is used in this book to speak about life in this fallen and sinful world. Life under the sun. Life under the sun may be a godless existence. Or it may refer to the temporal life of believers on earth. Just saying under the sun does not necessarily bring about a negative or a sinful connotation. But, but it's life on this earth and it's this temporary life. As the preacher writes, we see him uh, writing with an anticipation of the gospel. We see that under the sun there are, and he points out to us, bad things. And he is what we have said, brutally honest about some of those bad things under the sun. But we also see that there are good things under the sun. And he has even helped us in his wise teaching to say this is better than that. And, and to show us that some things are better than other things. So life under the sun. This phrase is the here and now life on earth. It was the here and now for Solomon when he wrote it. It's the here and now for us. It's the here and now until Christ returns. The other repeated words that we need to remember are vanity, vapor, striving after the wind or, or chasing the wind. Uh, vanity of vanities is probably the most famous phrase from the most well-known phrase from Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Uh, these words, vanity, vapor, chasing after or striving after the wind. These are used as synonymous terms for the same idea. And the idea is that nothing under the sun has ultimate meaning. Now, nothing under the sun has 
profound purpose. Nothing under the sun has lasting profit. The verdict of the preacher when analyzing life under the sun is that all is vanity and vapor. The bad is meaningless and frustrating. The good is momentary. It just poof and it's gone. It's momentary. And we are born, and we remember this from our study already in the book of Ecclesiastes, we are born and we live cyclical lives. That is like a weary go round. We live and then we die and we leave others continuing the cycle. We also remember that the declaration of vanity Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. This is not to say that there's nothing to enjoy or that there is no value. There are things which we can enjoy. There are things which bring joy and meaning, but that joy and that meaning is a brief puff of smoke and then it's gone. It's vapor. Like you see your breath on a cold winter morning. We have one or two of those days in Texas. <laughs> Like you would see your breath and then it's gone. The, the things that we may enjoy, where we may find meaning in life, uh, it's vanity. It's vapor. It's momentary. So that's where we've been. That's what we've studied. The preacher has made observations and he's drawn conclusions based on his observations. And remember that he's doing all of this in his vast wisdom. Solomon, the wisest man who had ever lived and the wisest man who will ever live. So he's doing all this, this observation and this study in his vast wisdom. And thus far, all four of the chapters that we have studied, you, you may find this unique in, in Scripture. There have been no commands. No commands. There's observations. There's verdicts. All is vanity. But not a single command. No directives. No do this or do that. Observation that all is vanity and no commands. That's where we've been. And now we come to chapter five this morning and we will read the first seven verses. I want you to know that as I was preparing to preach this message, I thought we were going to get through. I, I originally said, let's just do a chapter a week. And I quickly said, no, all we can handle this morning is seven verses. And then I started preparing this message. We're going to handle verse one. And as we handle verse one, then we'll move next week, Lord willing, to the other verses in verse. But we're going to read seven verses to get this in our mind and see what happens. Uh, all those things, though, as we uh, as we take the next couple of weeks to get through this, uh, we'll, we'll get started. Today I'm reading uh, from the King James Version, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. Keep thy foot. When thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Let thy words be few for a dream cometh through the multitude of business 
and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldst vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities. But fear thou God. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time this morning. Thrice holy God of heaven, we humbly ask now for your blessing upon us. On the merit of Christ our Savior, we ask. We come seeking to be transformed by your word, to have our minds washed with the water of your word. Wake each one of us, Lord, from our slumber. Rouse us from our laziness and bring us by your word and your spirit to a place of change. Change our hearts. God, we pray that you change our minds. That you give us attitudes which more closely reflect the attitude of Christ. Help us to hear. More than just the sound reaching our ears. Even more than us understanding in our minds. Help us to hear with ears of faith. Allow your word, we pray, to come to us through, through the intellect and to pierce all the way down to the affections. God, convict us this morning of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. We ask that you would sanctify your children and grant efficacious, saving grace to sinners here today. In Christ's name. So as we've reviewed chapters one through four, summarized by the statement, observation that all is vanity and no commands. Now we come to chapter five and all that changes. We have here in chapter five, the first command before us. Here the preacher also in these verses finds the thing under the sun, which is not vanity and vapor and striving after the wind. Some of you are like, well, I thought that's all there was in Ecclesiastes. No, there's something here of value, and we find it here in these first seven verses. There is something of meaning. There is something of purpose and eternal profit. I'll give you a hint. It's the service of the Lord. It's the worship of God. So we want to dig in here, and we want to see what we have before us. We start with this command. Solomon, Solomon starts in verse 1 with the command. Uh, I read the King James, keep thy foot, keep thy foot. Uh, some of your Bibles have this translated as guard your step or guard your steps. This seems as we speak of keep your foot, guard your steps. This seems to have reference to Old Testament texts. And you'll remember the one where Moses comes before God at the burning bush. And Moses is instructed in that moment, take off your shoes Take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. Wherever God is, that's holy ground. Take off your shoes. So, so there we have Moses and this reference to his feet 
And, and Moses taking off his shoes was a sign in that moment of reverence and respect and humility. And he was to do this because he was in the presence of a holy God. Now we don't today have practices like that. I have been to churches where I heard a preacher. I thought it was kind of silly. I still think it was kind of silly where he said, wait, before we begin. And then he kicked his shoes off and he said, okay, I want to be on holy ground. I thought it was kind of silly. I still do. Uh, Please, please, to every one of you, keep your shoes on. We don't need that. We, We don't have that kind of practice today, taking off our shoes to show reverence. And I may be about to offend some of you, but get ready. Uh, we do have other societal norms, other cultural norms, men removing their hat when they come into worship. That's a good that's a good societal norm that we have. And this may have some variance uh, when you talk to men about when is the right time to wear a hat and when is the right time to take it off. There may be some variance as to when and where and, and that kind of thing. But let me tell you this. I don't think the worship service of the living God is the place where any man ought to have a hat on. So, gentlemen, we want to be careful and we want to be bold sometimes to say, hey, man, uh, remove your hat. It's, it's, it's the right thing to do. It's reverence. It's respect. And then, man, we don't want to forget that either. There are different rules for ladies wearing hats. I didn't make the rules. I'm just here recording. But we dare not think that here the preacher is recommending for us, as he says, keep your foot. Watch your, we we dare not say that what he means here is take off your hat or remove your shoes or do some outward ritual. And that is all that is meant. That's not all that is meant here. We, We would miss the whole point. If we took some physical ritualistic action rather than seeing the deeper spiritual meaning that is intended here. We use this same kind of language today, don't we? Keep thy foot. What do we say? Watch your step. Now we might say this, watch your step when someone is standing in a dangerous place. There are snakes out, so watch your step. And we would say that. We might use this uh, to say that that there's a warning, there, there's a warning of danger or, or of damage that can occur. Uh, something that came to my mind uh, was, hey, those chickens are laying eggs all over the barn, so watch your step. That damage could occur. We might also use this, or we might also say this to someone who is, who is about to, or we think they are close to giving an insult or an offense. If you're going to speak about my wife, watch your step. See, we use this today. We, we understand this. Watch your step. It's a warning and it's a command that is given. And when we see this, that Solomon is given it, combining the fact that That God's holiness is such that reverence and respect and humility are required. And and combining that with the fact that men are sinful creatures, selfish and proud. The preacher gives us this command. Keep thy foot. Watch your step. One might gather from all the previous observations that the preacher has given us. I mean, we've had all of this, this talk about things in the world 
that, that a man or a woman can walk through this world. It's all vanity anyway, right? So maybe we would gather that we could walk through this world without a great deal of care, without a great deal of heed. If it's all vanity under the sun, why not just carelessly walk through this world? But the preacher here warns us lest we think we can come before God with a laissez-faire attitude. We dare not think that we can walk before God laid back. It makes my blood boil to see the t-shirt, Jesus is my home. He's not. But we have in our society this attitude of we can walk before God because he's just our buddy. And the preacher here is warning us against that kind of thinking. Watch your step. Keep thy foot. Keep an eye on yourself. There's a contrast set up for us in these verses. Between the person that we should be, the person that we can be by following the wise counsel of Solomon, and the other person who is called in verse 1, and then again in verse 3, and in verse 4, the fool. Now, we need to understand the biblical use of the word fool. Uh, we may be somewhat familiar with the modern use of the word. I mean, I grew up with Mr. T and his catchphrase, I pity the fool. But, but this is this is not. We use the word sometimes to describe someone who is who is uh, who is acting like a clown, right? He's just acting a fool. That's what my grandma would say. He's just acting a fool. We might use this word to describe someone who has made a, who has made a poor decision. That was so foolish. But the Bible uses the word fool in a much more consistent and in a much more serious way. In scripture, the fool is one who rebels against God. The fool is one who says, no, God. Maybe you know the verse of scripture and you've heard it read this. The King James says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, there is, is added for our help. It, it, it should be the fool has said in his heart, no God. And that could mean that the fool has denied the existence of God. Or it could just mean, and I think it's both, the fool says to God, no. The fool in the Bible, the fool in the Bible is not an ignorant person. But rather the fool ignores wisdom and instruction, especially those things pertaining to God. So when we see in scripture, the fool we need to really perk our ears up and pay attention. We hear this wise instruction that at the command of the preacher and we need to follow his instruction. We need to obey the command and we need to avoid the behavior of the fool. Watch your step. Keep thy foot. The verse tells us when you go to the house of God. Keep thy foot when you go to the house of God. Now, there may be many situations where this advice can be given to watch your step. I think that's that's probably good advice all around. But here, the preacher specifically applies this instruction and this command to attending the house of God. And the application for us is very clear. This pertains to church. Watch your foot. 
And this pertains to church. So as we seek to avoid the behavior of the fool and not to give what this text says, not to give the sacrifice of fools, I have a number of ways that fools enter the worship service foolishly. So we'll consider the sacrifice of fools and from there we will get to the sacrifice of the wise man and it's going to take us two weeks to get through all this text but, but we'll get started here. The first thing that I noted is the fool might not go to the house of God. The fool might not go to the house of God. If you are a person who doesn't go to the house of God, don't hear me calling you a fool. But, but look at the scripture. When you go. When you go. How many people find something else to do on Sunday other than attending the house of God? Now church attendance has long ago fallen out of popularity among the lost. But now it seems that even those, some who profess to be Christians, knowingly and repeatedly disobey the clear command of Christ to attend the assembly. Some will protest, well, Church attendance doesn't get you into heaven. I was reminded of that old Don Williams country song. I don't believe that heaven waits for only those who congregate. What's he saying there? Going to church don't get you into heaven. Somebody will say that. Maybe you were thinking that in your mind. I agree. Church attendance has never made anyone a Christian. And, and church attendance has no power to save you. But those who are saved by the grace of God through faith alone in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, those people will attend church. And if you're not attending church regularly, I believe you have cause to question. I believe you should... Check yourself. His sheep hear his commands and obey them. His sheep hear his voice and follow him. And one of the most basic and clear commands of scripture is to be faithful to the worship services of the church. The text says, when you go to the house of God, and that is an instruction and even a command, first of all, to go. The fool may not go, but the wise man will be faithful to attend the worship of God. Now, you know what we got to say here? The fool may not go, but a lot of times the fool does go. Just going is not enough. When the fool goes, when the fool goes, the fool does not go ready to hear. And you see that in the text. When you go, watch your step. When you go, be more ready to hear. The fool does not go ready to hear. When, when you watch your step, when you go to the house of God and be more ready to hear. When the fool does attend church, there are other priorities, other agendas at play. He doesn't go to hear God's word. He goes for other reasons. 
there are a few other reasons that I have here for why the fool attends the worship of God. Some of these are just from experience as a pastor. Some of these come from scripture. The first one that I have here is the fool uses worship to network. How many, how many people go to church to increase their Rolodex? Now, I wrote that in my notes and then I realized how old I am. Because <laughs> nobody has a Rolodex and maybe some people don't even know what a Rolodex is. So let me modernize that phrase. How many people go to church to increase the number of contacts in their phone? How many people go to church to make a sale, to find business opportunities? It's networking. I can, I can do better in my business if I get in with that crowd at the church. What a selfish and exploitive motive to attend the worship service of God. And, and by the way, when the fool attends for networking, that's not worship. So the fool should never think in those times that, that they're doing some good and noble thing this is sinful behavior of the fool. The fool uses worship to network. The fool also uses worship. By the way, some of these you're going to be able to say, yeah, those people out there. Some of these you're going to be able to point like this and others we're going to have to say, uh-oh. Some, I think one of our brothers says, some of them you'll be able to say amen and some of them you'll have to say ouch. The fool uses worship to network and the fool uses worship to socialize. I, I cringe when I hear people and sometimes Christian people, good intention, but they talk about church and the community. It sounds kind of good when they say it, doesn't it? Well, I cringe because, because when we speak too much about the brotherhood and the camaraderie that we find among other people at church, we are on dangerous territory because the fool uses church to socialize. Now we have to be careful when we talk about this because there are so many, there are so many places in scripture where it speaks to us about the one another's. Christianity is not to be lived in isolation like a monk in a, in a monastery somewhere. We are to live and interact with one another and scripture instructs us. We are to love one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to pray one for another. We are to forgive one another. There's a whole bunch of stuff said in scripture about one anotherness. So we're not saying that we need to ignore one another. I'm not saying that the fool goes to church to socialize, so let's never socialize. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that the, the primary function and focus of the church meetings is to worship God and not to visit with our friends. Worship God and not worship our friendships. Now, for some of us, this needs to be a constant reminder because we do love one another. But when we walk through the doors and the first thing on our mind is, has my friend made it here yet? I want to catch up with so-and-so. If that's the first thing on our mind, we are demonstrating foolish behavior. The wise man goes to the house of God to hear the word of God and to worship by responding with grateful obedience to the word. The wise man watches his steps as he comes into the worship service. 
A 19th century pastor said this, begin the holy exercise of worship before you leave your home. See that your heart is engaged, not in the trifles of the moment, but in the realizing of eternity, not in company with thy friends, but in communion with thy Lord. Oh, it is awful to trifle at the church door. Our business is with the high and holy one. He is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Holiness becometh thine house, O God, forever. The fool comes to socialize. The wise man comes to hear God's word, to worship. The fool uses worship to be entertained. This week, one of our brothers uh, sent to the, the men in the church a short video demonstrating this very thing. Hey, I don't know what church it was, but a so-called church having a so-called worship service. They had brought such a great production for the purpose of appealing to men. When I say men, I mean mankind, humanity, men and women. Tickling the flesh, acting for the saints instead of adoring the Savior. I, I hear people speak about their church. And when they speak about their church, often the main focus is on how it makes them feel. I, I got time to share this week. We, we were in Houston. When we were in Houston in ministry, we had some folks who, who were leaving our church. And I said, where are you going? And I won't tell you what church they were going to or what the pastor's name was. I will tell you this, that the church facility is big enough that you could hold an NBA basketball game there. I will tell you that the preacher has a million dollar smile. And here's what they told me. We just feel so good when we leave there. We just feel so good. So many times people talk about their church and it's all about how it makes me feel Foolish people attend church to be entertained or to stir up a feeling, emotionally stimulated. They go to get a feeling. And, and brothers and sisters, it's easy to look at other people and say, how awful, but, but it's, it's something we can find ourselves slipping into this. And here's how you might recognize it when you start to say about church. Well, I don't like this. I don't care for that. I mean, we're not asking in that moment, is this acceptable worship before God? We're saying, what is it? What is it satisfying me? Sometimes I, sometimes I feel like uh, I haven't sung well in the worship service. But as I look at the message of the songs that we are singing, the statements of worship and adoration and praise, I have to admit this is good worship. So I can't say, well, I don't like that. Uh, what I need to do is work on learning those songs better so that I can be more engaged, so that I can have a more worshipful heart as we sing those songs. I'm, I'm so grateful, I'll just say here, I'm so grateful to our musicians for the incredible effort and the earnest service that, that is put into planning what we do here on Sunday mornings. I think our worship service, there it's clear that there's an effort made. 
where God is the audience, where God is the center, and not almost no thought, I'm going to say no thought is given to entertaining any of us. And I thank God for that. The fool uses worship to be entertained. The wise man worships with sincerity and veracity, or we could say in spirit and in truth. The fool attends church to sit in judgment over the preached word. Some people out there, and maybe some people in here, love their own intellect. They're only interested in the people who can stimulate them mentally. They only like a sermon if there's a sufficient amount of Greek and Hebrew, if there's enough historical context, if there's a lot of multi-syllable words. There's no use in their hearts and minds for the plain, simple message of Scripture. But as we think about that, I've also seen plenty of people who sit in judgment on the other side of that argument, on the anti-intellectual side of that argument. If the preacher uses a Greek or a Hebrew word, you know, he's just showing off. If there is historical context, we didn't come here for a history lesson. If there's too much data for their liking, the preacher needs to be reminded this is not a class full of seminary students. Often we sit in judgment. I have a couple of quotes here from Charles Bridges and from John Finn, and these are this, this is what I think is a long quote. Printed out, it's half a page, but it's it's profitable for us. So I'm going to ask if you would listen carefully. Uh, the English is from another time. So, so we need to be careful as we listen to what's being said. The evil to the barren professor professing to be a Christian, the evil to the barren professor is that he lays the burden of his unprofitableness at the preacher's door. Now I want to pause here and just tell you what that is. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm leaving that church, I just wasn't being fed. Sometimes people need to leave a church because there's no feeding being done. Many, many times people say, I'm leaving that church because I'm just not being fed. And what's happening there is they are laying the burden of not being fed at the preacher's feet when they should take that responsibility. Let me continue here. Solomon's rule, be ready to hear, is that of our divine master from Luke 8, 18. Take heed how you hear. When prayer is neglected, the exercise of faith withers. We are disposed to ask curious questions, but very unready to listen to practical truths. John Venn observes, what miserable delusion to think sermons will profit, awaken, and enlighten people when they have no heart to call upon God and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then referring to one of the large congregations that he had in London, he said this, I see the people greatly inattentive to the worship and yet hearing with seeming earnestness, this will never do. God's spirit is grieved and withdrawn. The preacher may be praised, but the soul will not be profited. 
While the grand business should fill their souls, a total inattentiveness is visible on many countenances. Their entertainment seems to only begin when the preacher has taken his text. Professed believer, can you imagine that you will receive profit in one means of grace when you pour contempt on another? Often indeed is their attendance without attention. The fool comes and sits in judgment. The fool comes to be entertained. The fool comes to network. Brothers and sisters, the, the word of God, the word of God is rejected outrightly by the world. But you know where I think the word of God is more often and more blatantly rejected? It's in the church pews week by week by people who will not submit unless it's just right. Like Goldilocks Christians. They will not sit under the word of God because they are too busy sitting over the word. The fool attends church to sit in judgment over the preached word. Wise men and women attend church to be judged by the word and to receive the salve of grace for the wounds of their soul. Now we have several more examples of the foolish sacrifice and fools coming to church, but let me shortcut here and just walk through these quickly. The fool attends the house of God with pride. The wise man goes with humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. They will be the ones blessed. Believers, we are the poor in spirit when we say, I am a poor, wretched sinner. We used to sing, we used to sing songs in the church I grew up in that said things like, such a worm am I. I am a worm. And then somebody decided, oh no, we can't talk about ourselves like that. And pride comes in. The wise man attends church with humility. The fool comes with pride. The fool comes in and does not consider his sin. That's in our text today. For they consider not that they do evil. Some translations say they don't know that they're doing evil, but I think there's more to it than, than that they just don't know. They are doing evil. They don't know that they're doing evil, but worse than that, they've never stopped to consider the worship which they offer to say, is this acceptable? Wise men and women consider their worship and seek to be worshipers which the Father seeks. Now, just a few biblical examples here of a foolish sacrifice, the fool's sacrifice in church. One we read earlier in our worship service, the, the example of Nadab and Abihu in the Old Testament. What did they bring to church? Creativity. They brought innovation. They brought the thing that many of us would say, well, that's great. That's wonderful. But it wasn't what God commanded. They brought innovation to church and they were killed for it. The wise man will follow the regulative principle of worship that we see in scripture. We do what God has ordained, what God has commanded, nothing more and nothing less. Another biblical example of the fool's sacrifice, Ananias and Sapphira. They brought a sacrifice of money to the church, but then they lied to the Holy Spirit 
and they were struck dead. Do you get the do you get the pattern just in these two biblical examples? Nadab and Abihu struck dead. Ananias and Sapphira struck dead. And lest you think that God of the Old Testament was rough, Ananias and Sapphira is New Testament stuff. After Jesus had come, lived, died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, then Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead by God. Watch your step. Keep my foot. It's a serious thing with God. Ananias and Sapphira were dishonest with God. And we play the fool when we are dishonest with God. When we go through the motions, when we say the words, when we do the thing, when we sing things in our songs. And we need to ask ourselves, are we honest? That song we sing, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. Do you know what that is saying? I mean, a lot of people love that song. What is it saying? I've never loved you more or better than right this moment. And often I have uttered those words and they were not true. They were dishonest because everybody else is singing. And I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to be seen as the guy who's not. The fool comes to the worship service like Ananias and Sapphira, dishonest, lying to the Holy Spirit. The wise man comes to the house of God with an open and honest heart. The last biblical example, and there could be many others, but just for time's sake, the Judaizers of the New Testament. They exchanged salvation by grace through faith for a works-based religion. Fools come to the house of God to perform works in order to get the audience with God. Wise men come confessing their sin. Poor in spirit, God, I am a sinner. I am a worm. I admit my weakness. I admit my failure. Wise men then rest on Jesus Christ, on his work, claiming his life and his death as our righteousness and our forgiveness of sin. Brothers and sisters, <coughs> the instruction and the command, keep thy foot, watch your step. We want to make sure there is a balance. There is a balance because the scripture tells us what? Come into the presence of God boldly, boldly. Come as his children. We have to find a balance between boldly and humbly because both have to be there. We come boldly. We come, brothers and sisters, let's come before God. Let's come before God and worship boasting. But what are we going to boast about? It better be that we are boasting about Christ Jesus. We're going to have to revisit this text next week and Hopefully we can get through the rest of these verses next week. But in closing, I'd like to share one more quote. Uh, this is from Matthew Poole, a theologian from the 1600s. He comments on this text. Keep thy foot, the feet of thy soul, which are the thoughts and affections by which men go to God and walk and converse with him. Make straight steps See that your heart is purged from sin and prepare 
uh, prepared and furnished with all the graces or necessary qualifications like good intentions, reverence, and humility. It is a metaphor from one that walketh in a very slippery place where there needs to be more than ordinary care given to keep from falling. Brothers and sisters, when we come to the house of God, when we come in for worship, we are in a very slippery place. Our sin, our fallenness, our remaining sin makes it a very slippery place. So it is so important that when you go to the house of God, Keep your foot. Watch your step. God, as we hear this command, we readily confess, even if we are eager, even if our minds are convinced that we must watch our step, that we must keep our foot coming to coming before you, even if we are eager to do it, God, we confess our weakness. So God, we need your help. God, I thank you. I thank you that our worship, as imperfect as it is, is offered through the blood of Jesus Christ, is, is brought to you through the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you receive us through your Son and that you receive our worship through your Son. But God, our hope, our desire as your people is that we can reflect your character in us. We want to be like you. We want to be like our Savior. So God, help us. Let this command and instruction not quickly depart from our ears to keep our foot, to watch our step. We pray this in Christ's name.